the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The unique role, responsibility, and design, by God, of women. That is the focus of our time today as we turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, on Abounding Grace. one extreme to the other, we have seen all kinds of abuses and misuses of women. Well, today, we turn our attention once again to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and a message called The Cure for the Self-Degradation of Women. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. As we continue our journey through 1 Timothy, we get a clear understanding of God's design when it came to the role and responsibility of women and just exactly what God has created women for and the glory that is found in this creation. Please join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. This is Christ's social order. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 8. Listen carefully. I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one, she is, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and the glory of God, But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. So, it's, it's, uh, it can be shown true, uh, to be true unless the first, this cannot be proven true unless the first two chapters of the Bible are little history. The first man did not come from a woman, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. There's a famous movie that I actually can't remember, and I've been trying all week to remember the name of this film, but it's in which Chuck Norris said, I was once a man trapped in a woman's body. Then... I was born. Now let's read verses 8 through 12 of chapter of chapter 11. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. 
For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. But as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So the point is, this is the explanation of the creation of man and woman. There is a created equality between them. One is not superior to the other, but there is a functional subordination of the woman to the man. No inferiority, but a functional subordination. That the man was created to live in terms of the dust from which he was made, and the woman was made as a helpmeet to live in terms of the rib of the man from which she was made. And whenever there is that glad recognition and submission to God's social order, men are happy and women are happy. When that social order is perverted, everything falls apart. Turn to Galatians real quick. I'm going to be reading verses 27 and 28. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, that is not saying that gender is irrelevant and that there is no difference whatsoever in gender. That is not what it is saying at all. That would actually be reading back into the text something contrary to what the Bible teaches everywhere else. He is simply saying when it comes to enjoying the blessings and the privileges of union with Christ, there is no difference between male and female. They have different functions, different roles to play. But in Christ, males don't benefit any more than females and vice versa in those great blessings of salvation. So there is a creative and a redemptive equality between men and women. But in God's social order, there is a functional subordination of women to men. So now how is the church to be reformed so that the people in the world can see what it is like to have normal relationships between men and women? Well, Paul says, apply the law of God properly. Preach the gospel, pray for everyone, and when it comes to the public worship of the church, I want the men, in verse 8, in every place to pray. Now, the word for men there is not the generic word for people, both men and women. It is the word for just men. I want mature adult males in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without word, without wrath and dissension. Timothy, I want you to organize the church service, and I want men to lead the worship service. Now, what made Paul call for this? Well, maybe there were some of these false teachers back then who were women. And they were trying to establish themselves as prophetess and the like. 
trying to establish themselves as heretics like Beth Moore and Paula White and Joyce Myers, just to mention a few. And Paul is saying when it comes to public worship, it is men who are to lead the worship service. It is men who are to raise holy hands in prayer and to lead in congregational prayer. Because when you pray in a worship service, you're not just praying for yourself. You are leading the congregation and in worship. And women are not to lead the congregation in public worship. <clears throat> and the point is that in a church that is going to really have an effect on the culture, women should not lead in the worship service, public worship, congregational worship. Paul is not speaking just as a man expressing his own opinion here, but the Holy Spirit-inspired apostle of Christ is saying, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up their holy hands and be more concerned with what is going on inside of their own hearts than their physical posture. When these men pray, I want them to pray as godly men with no wrath, no deception, no divisiveness, divisiveness between each other. I want these men to lift up holy hands so that the world can see a church, not just that goes through the motions, but a church that does have certain motions, but is, in, is full of men that are godly men, joyfully serving the living God. You know, when Oliver Cromwell went to raise his army called the New Model Army, that was one of the greatest armies assembled in all of history. In fact, they never lost one single battle. But he said, the only kind of men I want in my army are precious, godly men. And that's what he got. And that is the only kind of men that we want to pray here at Reformed Heritage Church. That is the only kind of men we want to lead in a worship service. And if the church is going to cure the degradation of men or women, we can't be afraid to show the world the role of men and the role of women in the worship and the ministry of the church. So Paul says, Therefore I want men in every place where the church meets to pray and to lead the worship service, lifting up holy hands. And then verse 9, Likewise, I want women. He doesn't want women to pray or lead in a worship service, but he does want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly garments. Now, people try to make the Bible look foolish. And so they interpret passages of Scripture that make us look like we are fools if we believe them. And so Paul is not saying, women, if you braid your hair, you are sinning against God. If you wear pearls, you are sinning against God. If you wear expensive clothes, you are sinning against God. And all you have to do to disprove that is two things. Look at the historical context he is addressing, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. And the second thing is, there is a text in the Bible where God praises women who seek to be attractive and as pretty as they can be. And men in the Bible who saved wealth, where did they put their gold and their precious stones? Well, they didn't put them in safety deposit boxes. 
They put it around their wives' necks and on their wrists and their anklets. They beautified their wives with these things. So you can't use the Bible to condemn a woman wanting to be as attractive as she can be. But here is the context. In Rome at that time, women would spend a fortune on themselves to make themselves look as if they were superior to everyone else. Caligula, one of the worst of the Caesars, talked about how his wife had a hairdo and jewelry that was worth over a million dollars. And for women like this, the whole point of their life was to come out in public and make everyone look at them and show off how much they were worth. And that was the whole point of Isaiah 3. They were dressing up and wanted to impress everyone with how pretty they were. They didn't go to church to worship. And that was what hap was happening in Paul's day. Just like it is in many churches today. Paul is saying, all right, women, just as I expect something of the men to be holy as they lead the worship service, I expect you to be holy when you worship God also. So don't come to church just to get attention. Don't come to church just so people can see your expensive hairdo and your jewelry and your dresses and your shoes and the like. Verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. Where are those two adverbs rare in our day? In our day, many women, including Christian women, don't even know what modesty means. I have seen some women dress, even in Reformed churches, very immodestly, rather than like the mothers in Zion. And if you dress in this manner or you let your daughters dress in this manner, how do you think people are going to treat them? How do you think boys are going to look at them? So Paul says, women, I want you to show your godliness by dressing modestly and discreetly, but attractively, not with very expensive braided hair, gold and silver and pearls and costly garments, but rather here is how I want you to dress. By means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. Now, I think when a person comes to church, he should dress in a different way than he would go to the ballgame. I mean, if you or I would be invited to Buckingham Palace to meet the queen, would you wear sweatpants and a t-shirt and sandals? I don't think so. Because you would have more respect for this human being in Buckingham Palace. Well, it's the same thing in a worship service. And please understand, I'm not saying that everyone has to wear coats and ties. But you recognize you are coming before Almighty God here. And that should certainly make a difference. So the point is, they are, they are saying here, ladies, don't just worry about your looks but be more concerned with what's going on in your heart. You claim to be a godly woman. Now you live that life of good works and faithfulness that draws people to you more than simply a beautiful dress. Be known, not for what you have on the outside of your body, but what you have on the inside. Then in verse 11, Paul says, 
Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. Now, remember, he's talking about a worship service. And he's saying when it comes to a worship service, women may not lead in prayer. They may not lead in the worship service. In fact, they may not teach the whole body officially as if they are preachers. They are to sit there quietly in the church and receive the truth that is being presented from the preacher of the gospel. And remember what Paul said earlier. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am telling you the truth here. I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So in the Christian church, a woman is not to be a preacher or an apostle or a teacher. She is to be a student, and she is to receive from the person who holds the office of teaching and preaching the instruction from the Word of God with entire submissiveness. Now, that doesn't mean with a blind submissiveness so that you believe everything this preacher says, no matter what he says. But it means with a submissiveness not so much to him as to the faithful preaching that you hear on a certain day. Why? Because he says, I don't allow as any apostle of Christ a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man in a church, but to remain quiet in church. Now, some people have taken that far beyond what Paul meant it to say. This is talking about the organization of the worship and the ministry of the local church. That's what he is training Timothy for. And that does not mean that a woman may never teach anyone anything about the word of God. In fact, if you go to Proverbs, you'll see things like this where it says, Sons, pay attention to the words of your father and give heed to the words of your mother. So it assumes in the home that both mother and father are going to have a shared responsibility in the teaching of children in the home. Now, who are children here? Children are not just little kids. Children are dependents. You, you can have a 25-year-old dependent college student in your house, and that counts as a child. And mothers may teach children dependents in the home just like the father. Well, we're going to see later on here in Timothy where Paul talks about older women in the church teaching younger women various things about being a godly woman. In fact, here's an interesting thing. We see in Acts 18, starting in verse 24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began speaking out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and he wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here is this great man that was taught how to preach. He was given a seminary education 
in the private home of a man and his wife, Priscilla and Aquila. And it says, they, they taught him how to interpret Scripture. Let me tell you something else about Priscilla and Aquila. Normally in that era, the husband was named first. And if the wife's name was given first, there was some particular reason. And if you notice here, it doesn't talk about Aquila and Priscilla. It talks about Priscilla and Aquila. Now that could indicate that she had a major role under her husband's authority in their house of teaching Apollos the word of God. So, Paul is not saying that women are just too dumb to teach. It never says that at all. In fact, when I teach premarital counseling to a couple just about to be married, I teach them of this functional subordination of a woman to a man, and I tell them that does not mean inferiority. Besides, why would one, any man want to marry an inferior woman? Not me. In fact, I didn't. Krista is far superior to me in all kinds of ways. For which I praise God. So understand in no way, shape, or form is Paul speaking down to women. He's just saying, show the world the proper relationship of men and women in the life of the local church. Women have roles, but they're not to lead in the worship service, nor are they to officially preach. And why is this so? Paul gives two reasons for this. And we see this in verses 13 and 14 as we come to a close. Here are the two reasons I don't want women to teach in the church, says Paul. One, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Two, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Paul says, here are the two reasons why a woman should not officially teach in the church. Number one, Adam was created first. And Eve was created as his helpmeet to live in terms of him. Second, when they sinned, it was Eve who was deceived. It was Eve who was caught off guard and ate of the fruit and sinned and gave the fruit to a perfect man. And then he, of course, stupidly ate it as well. So whether those two reasons satisfy you or not, that is what it says are the two reasons why women may not lead in worship or be elders or teach in a church. Adam was created first, and Eve was the one deceived. Then, verse 15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if those women continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. How is a godly woman... How, how it, it, here is how... A godly woman finds happiness and satisfaction and preservation in life. Having children. If God opens the womb. Now there are some times when God does not allow man, a man and a woman to have children. And they should never feel guilty about that. But the norm is, the norm. 
that the real satisfying, persevering thing in a woman's life is bearing and raising children to the glory of God. If, if, here again, it's not just a physical thing. If those women continue in faith and love and sanctity in self-restraint. So when this picture is illustrated in the life of a local church, when the gospel is faithfully preached and the law of God is faithfully applied, then we, we, we will see a cure for the degradation of women, the feminization of young boys, and the emasculation of men. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.